Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of the Human Glue Project Podcast. If you're new to this show, the first thing to note and the first thing that I want to say is welcome. I really appreciate you listening. But if it's your very first time, I do want to emphasize that the Human Glue Project is is more than a podcast. It's a movement that emphasizes the idea of exploring, understanding, and ultimately pursuing human connection to live more fulfilling lives. So with that being said, feel free to check us out on our website at thehumanglueproject.com for our blog, for information about us and everything else that you want to know. Additionally, you know, feel free to check out our social media channels like Instagram and Twitter. And lastly, our YouTube channel, which is coming soon. With all that being said, I just wanted to again say I'm glad to have you here and I hope you enjoy the show. In today's episode, I have a fascinating conversation with one of the most interesting guests that I've had on the show, Drew Teller. Drew is the owner and founder of a donation-based yoga practice called the Lund Yoga Community. In the episode, we actually cover a variety of topics, including vulnerability, barriers of connection, and more. But ultimately, the most important idea that we cover is this idea that we have to connect with ourselves first in order to connect with others and how we can use yoga to do that. And just as a preface, in this episode, we do get taken off the topic of yoga initially to explore some very interesting concepts that I think you should hear. So for those people that you know are only interested in the yoga portion of the show, just as a heads up, we get there about 25 to 30 minutes in because we really explore some interesting tangents that I find very relevant to the show and very unique to what Drew has to offer. With that being said, please enjoy this amazing conversation with Drew Teller. Yeah, man, I appreciate you hopping on the call. I was super stoked to actually see that you reached out on LinkedIn and, um, you know, just to kind of get it started and kick it off, just as a quick overview, you know, who, who are you? Um, I know we work together, but for everyone that doesn't know who Drew Teller is, can you give us a quick overview of who Drew Teller is? The ultimate question of who you are, uh, <laughs> right? Um, you know, it's like weird about how many times I can get asked this question. It's so hard to like figure out the answer. I want to say every time it changes, you know, uh, but you know, I, I like answering this question, you know, or describing who I am based on um, like my values, you know, in life. And because I think I used to just say like what I do, my work and everything, but my work has changed so much, but I like, um, I'm someone who likes to try to understand people, try to understand processes, how things work. So that's my approach to life and people and relationships. I try to understand why things happen. I try to understand people and I try to understand why things work. And that, that, you know, that's, that's kind of who I am when I approach things and approach life. Um, and I've had, so many different values that I've resonated with um, over the last couple of years. And a few of those values um, were um, creativity, transparency, um, vulnerability, 
Um, and even, even service was a big one for me when I started getting into yoga a few, a few years ago. Um, just, uh, but recently I've really, really embodied these three values of curiosity, uh, imperfection and gratitude. And I think they tell a story of, of the start of something being curious in something, no matter what I'm doing, right. Describing who I'm self, uh, who am I, I'm a curious person. Uh, and then whatever I'm curious in, whatever I do, I'm going to do it with the goal of imperfection because uh, I've struggled with perfectionism in the past as maybe some of us all have struggled with a little bit of perfectionism. Um, so I try to remember to be imperfect at what I'm doing. And then no matter at the end of it, I'm grateful. Right. So it's like a, it's, it's like a cycle. Um, and so that's kind of like who I am. I'm, I'm someone who tries to understand people, how things work. Um, and to um, live by those values in this moment in time. Um, and I believe that there's uh, the two most important things uh, in this world uh, are the earth we live on, right, the planet, and the relationships we create in our lives. And I like holding those, holding on to those. Hmm. That's definitely by far the most interesting uh, who are you answer that I've had uh, on the mm -hmm. podcast. Uh, I've had a lot of people just dive right into their profession and what they do, which obviously we'll, we'll get into a little, in a little bit. But mm -hmm. before I even go into that, I wanted to say what's interesting about that is when you, when you answer a question in, in a different way like that and you lead with something that's very core to you, like your values – and this is, this is also for the people listening. When you lead with something like that, it already promotes kind of an instant connection because you've already kind of opened up um, who you are uh, to me without even me asking, right? So you even took that first initiative and first step to say, hey, this is who I am. This is my character. And even though I have these things that I do, which are my work, uh, what truly defines me is, is my character. Um, and some of the characters and values that I really resonated with I know you mentioned those top three, but two that really stuck out to me were, uh, were transparency. And I believe you said vulnerability as well. Um, those were two that you had talked about and specifically those two, because those two really promote um, human connection on a deeper level when you're able to open up, especially for, for feelings of connection, like love, intimacy, and, and friendship. Uh, vulnerability is a big one. If you can't be vulnerable to 100%. someone, you can't open up then you're not really able to forge that connection. So before 100%. I ask you, you know, what it is that you do for work and, and what's the kind of specialty that we're bringing you on for, I mm -hmm. want to kind of dig deeper a little bit and understand um, where does that vulnerability and kind of transparency play into your life and how do you use that to kind of guide your human connection? Yeah, I like that. And even to just go back a little bit when you said, you know, how I answered that question, uh, I find it, uh, it, it's almost like you called out the way maybe we should be describing ourselves because you, you know, you know, the, the way you answered it, you already opened yourself up for connection and maybe our identity should always be an opportunity for mm -hmm. connection. And maybe we should redefine who we are in ways that spark the uh, quickest quality of connection in a conversation. So I just, I think that was interesting. Um, as far as the vulnerability goes, you know, I, and I'm sure, I'm sure you, you know, Brene Brown, like 100%, uh, the author, 
Uh, have you heard of her? Oh. No. Okay. So she, right, I'm going to talk a lot about, about her. Um, <laughs> she's, she's the queen of vulnerability. She's a, she's a sociologist, um, an author, a professor, um, and she did this um, viral TED talk in like 2013 about uh, vulnerability. And I've read all her books. She's about eight books out. Um, and one of my favorites uh, was my first book I got by her, which was called Rising Strong. And it just explained vulnerability uh, from a psychological, biological, and human point of view. Um, and then her, her, my other favorite book by her is called Braving the Wilderness, which is all about loneliness and solitude and connection. So I really recommend Rising Strong and Braving the Wilderness. Um, but back to your question about vulnerability, um, you know, she, she um, defines, um, for us to be courageous, we have to be vulnerable first. For us to, um, I'm not a big fan of the cliche statement, you know, to get out of our comfort zone, we have to grow. I'm not a big fan of that. Um, just cause I think it's, I think it's a bit overstated and not defined well enough. It's not very um, guided. It's not very controlled. You know, what counts is discomfort, but vulnerability is a good measure of discomfort in my opinion. And so for me, uh, I use vulnerability um, in a way to be seen and be heard and try to be understood. Um, because I think we have to be vulnerable to let our most rawest, rawest self be seen. And, and that is uncomfortable sometimes. Um, and that discomfort can, or let's say that vulnerability can create connection. And I think it's actually necessary uh, for connection. You know, then you can get into the rabbit hole of, you know, what counts as vulnerability and, you know, a little or a lot, whatever. Right. Um, and I think that's cool. You get to define when you're vulnerable, you, you know, and I think it's a feeling. Um, so, yeah. That's a, that's a very profound way of looking at it as well, you know, because I think I agree with you in the sense that it is, I have seen that verbiage being overused in the sense of, of um, getting out of your comfort zone, you know, but what actually constitutes that comfort zone and, you know, you being able to say vulnerability is this thing that, you know, we can use as that something to strive for, right? To be more vulnerable with people. That's a lot more tangible um, to say and to kind of strive for. So it really gives people a grounding and a basis to um, look at for how they can better connect with people. Um, furthermore, I really like what you had said about the, the connecting with the raw self. Um, I think that's very, um, not many people realize that, but whether, whether you like it or not, there's always a lot of fronts. Um, and and whether, whether or not you want it to happen, there is, for example, at work, you probably have a slightly different persona than you would at, at, with your closest friends or with your family. Um, but at the end of the day, if you can get to someone's raw and true self and, and you can see that person, that opens up a whole level of intimacy and just uh, connection that you connection, never yeah. see. Um, <clears throat> so, I agree. I, yeah, sorry. I, uh, no, I agree. And I think, and you know, you mentioned the persona of work, you know, and I think that's an ongoing uh, conversation about, you know, do you separate work life and, mm -hmm. and, and personal life? Are you, um, one of my big, one of my favorite um, principles is like, are you a segmenter or an integrator with work? So are you the type mm. of person to segment your livelihood at work 
and personal life or do you integrate, you know, do you have hours where you're working and when you're not? And the same thing goes for your persona. And I think, um, people end up choosing, I think what is best for them and what's healthy for them. Um, and personally, I are, um, I believe if I'm living by vulnerability and, and, you know, radical honesty, you know, or, or, or um, those values, then it doesn't matter what situation I'm in. But the thing that keeps me safe and being, you know, that prevents my raw self to be seen by people who don't deserve or to, can hold space for that raw self hmm. are boundaries. And boundaries is a silver lining through it all. Um, it's, it's choosing when you can show up in that vulnerable way or not in front of people who deserve or don't deserve to see it. And I think that's really crucial and also self-worth is that I think a lot of people want to be super vulnerable really quickly or in front of the wrong people and they don't get what they were looking for. And it's not their fault. It's, it's the, it's the, the people maybe they're doing it in front of aren't ready to hold it or to, or to see it. And I think there's this mutual responsibility about when to be vulnerable and in front of who. Now that, that really piques my interest. Um, and I can, I can already tell that there are so many different avenues we can kind of go down, but really quick. So I yeah. promise this is the last thing that we, we talk about before I kind of redirect back to the, the kind of core thing here, but I got all I really the time wanna... in the world, by the way. So no worries. <laughs> awesome. No worries. Um, what I really wanted to, to kind of pick out was the idea of, of boundaries and connection. Um, mm-hmm. That for some reason has not crossed my mind as much as everything about leaning into connection has. Right. But then I think a lot of people forget or, um, you know, maybe even completely disregard this idea of, of boundaries, right? Like how do you know when, how do you know who, exactly you should be allowing into your life to see your true self your raw self right how do you mm-hmm. how do you go up and dev- define your own boundaries right how do you identify other people's boundaries um there's just so much packed in there that that's a good uh, question that's You're really right. interesting you yeah. know um so really quick if i can just get one quick answer how would you define the way that you can how how would you know who to, who to let in to see your truest self? How do you, and how do you set your boundaries? And then after that, we'll go ahead and talk about, um, you know, the, your work side. Mm-hmm. But, um, before we dive yeah. into that, let's just hear really quickly about that tidbit. Sure. Um, and it's a good question. I think that's a strong theme in my life too. Um, and a lot of the things I practice, right. Practice, um, what I preach. Right. And, and I think, so your first question was, uh, who, right. It was who, and I think you know. I think it starts with a feeling uh, and knowledge, right? There's certain amount of uh, you know you have s- some amount of knowledge with someone, right? If it's someone you've never met, then you got no knowledge about them, right? Mm. But besides that, you have some knowledge of someone you're in front of, and mm. you have to make that judgment call. Mm. And I decide. Um, my level of vulnerability uh, and, and, and I'm tying back in vulnerability with boundaries because, you know, whether you choose to be, whether, whether you choose to be vulnerable in front of someone that is a decision to be seen. Right. So um, I'm, I'm bringing that into boundaries. And so my level of vulnerability to be seen or my raw self to be seen is 
I choose to do that when number one, I feel safe to do so. And that's a feeling, right? You can't read a book about it and just feel safe. Um, so you have to feel comfortable and you have to uh, accept the consequences and be ready to, 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 to know that maybe you might make a mistake. Maybe you, you're going to be seen by someone who didn't deserve to see it. And are you going to be okay with that? Right? So that is always underlying when I choose to make those decisions. And, and number two, because there's an intention to find connection, right? Back to that connection. Um, you know, if I'm being vulnerable with you and open with you, well, listen, I'm going to go fishing and try to see if we can connect. And if that doesn't work, you know, crap, it didn't work. Right. Um, so that's like kind of my basis of how I choose to be seen. And I think it's really, really based on our level or my level of emotional intelligence, right? Knowing our emotional body, um, trusting the signals that we're getting from our body, um, in the sense that, can you know, I trust this person, right? Feelings of trust, feelings of safety. These are feelings, right? And you, and, and, you know, um, we have to um, receive those messages from the body that we're getting them. In that moment, we choose to open up, you know? And, and for some cases, this is not that big of a deal if it's a coworker, but if it's a, if it's a partner or a really intimate relationship, those types of questions may really matter because it could backfire or it could, you know, go really well or really bad. Um, so that's kind of like a general way I look at it. Um, and I don't really have like a set bulletin point on, mm -hmm. you know, I don't reflect in the moment. It's really based on a feeling. Um, but it, but it does go back to that, you know, feeling and knowledge. So it's like, does this person have a track record of me? Um, you can test. I think, um, it's like trust, right? Um, one of the, one of my favorite, um, models of trust is called the four C's of trust. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's um, caring, competence, consistency, and commitment. And I love, I think I heard um, Jay Shetty talk about this first. He didn't coin it, but I, I heard him on Instagram or on his podcast. Um, but I loved it because trust is a, is, is such, is such a feeling driven concept, but it's so helpful to have objectivity when looking at trust, when something mm -hmm. like trust is so subjective. And so caring and, and competence are things that could be seen and be given pretty easily. Like how, how, how someone cares for you is great. Oh, I can see them. But sometimes care is not enough to trust. So competence help. Are they, are they knowledgeable? Are you seeing them receive you uh, in a certain way, are, are, is trust starting to form before I start being vulnerable in front of my raw, you know, my raw self, right? And then oftentimes what really, really proves trust is the last two seeds, consistency. Like no matter what happens, are they showing up again and again? Are they consistent and driven? Um, and then commitment, right? The overarching, like, are they committed to this relationship, this partnership, whatever it is. Um, and I like, I like, uh, going back to the knowledge, right? Am I seeing little build up build ups of trust in that relationship? And maybe I'm ready to be a little more vulnerable and a little more vulnerable, a little more vulnerable. And we have all these levels of vulnerability. Like we don't have to get all deep real quick. Uh, and I think that's how, that's how I do it. So, yeah. That's fascinating uh, for one. And it's, it's a stark contrast to some of the other, people that I've worked with as far as human connection goes. Um, 
I, I am engaged in a group of people that talk about human connection and we have a chat where all of us have different kind of practices or consult consultation kind of services or uh, media kind of things going on. And uh, it's interesting because a lot of those people have the idea of how can we connect immediately. Um, but I, I'm really interested in that idea of, you know, it's okay to wait a little bit. It's okay to kind of hold back and determine whether or not you want to open yourself up to someone. Um, and, I'll, and, I'll, uh, and we'll get to it later in this podcast when I talk yeah. more about my work, because I'll circle mm -hmm. back to that mm -hmm. um, connecting quickly. And, and bring it up if I forget. I'd love to okay. touch back on that with later concepts I may bring up. Gotcha. Cool. Um, with that being said, I really do appreciate you going into that because, um, and for my listeners, um, obviously, I'm going to, I'll put a, link, a number or something or some sort of a show note of, of where you can go if, if you just wanted to listen to yoga. But honestly, uh, I find this ultimately incredibly more, more interesting than, well, actually, I don't know yet. I don't want to say that. Who knows? Maybe, maybe yoga will be the most interesting thing in this podcast. But so far, um, I really love what you had said. And um, with that being said, I've kind of already revealed what it is that you do for work. So um, why don't you go ahead and, and tell everybody what it is that you do as far as uh, your yoga practice and uh, maybe some insight as to, as to everything in, involved with that. Yeah, sure. And, you know, just your, your point on like what I do for work. Uh, I do a few things for work. Um, one, I work with you at, mm -hmm. at a, at a, uh, you know, at a marketing agency. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, and that's one thing I do. Um, I also uh, teach yoga, just something I do. Uh, I write for work as well. Uh, I like writing a lot on like my medium blog. Um, I write a lot of stories, poetry. Um, and um, but, uh, sorry, I just went on a tangent in my head, but yes, <laughs> yoga, uh, I do that for work as well, but I, I do yoga for, um, because I'm passionate about it. Mm. And I got into yoga uh, a few years ago. Um, just a brief history on how I got into yoga. Um, I was, I think I was, you know, I was lifting weights for a long period of time in my life, you know, throughout, uh, college and post-college and, Eventually I stopped. I, I just didn't find it uh, valuable anymore. Um, and then I got into uh, mixed martial arts. I was doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu for a little over a year. Um, and then I, like, I, I busted my toe. I didn't break my toe, but I couldn't walk on it for like three days. And I was like, all right, what else am I going to do? I wasn't always very flexible. I couldn't touch my toes. And I started doing uh, yoga in uh, San Francisco. I was living in San Francisco for about three to four years at the time. And I went to a donation-based yoga studio called Yoga to the People. And it was convenient. It was on my way home from work. I was a mechanical engineering consultant at the time. So I, my bachelor's degree was in mechanical engineering. So just side fact, uh, I was working at a consulting firm in uh, San Francisco. Uh, and I was just commuting home to this yoga studio, which was right on the way, which was so convenient. Um, and I'm the type of person, when I do something, I kind of just go all into it kind of this like habitual type uh, mindset. Uh, and I started doing yoga every day, uh, maybe five times a week. Um, and I, you know, after a few months, I started noticing the physical benefits already. Uh, the, the little more flexibility, um, you know, lost a little weight. I, um, you know, started feeling stronger in areas that didn't feel 
as strong. I started increasing my mobility in my body. And so these were all tangible feelings, which were really nice. Um, and then six months later, I started noticing, you know, the mental benefits of yoga. And these benefits are like when you exercise, right? The, the, the serotonin, the, the endorphin rush, right? All these um, mood boosters, getting better sleep, right? So the mental benefits start coming. And then like maybe nine months later, uh, I started noticing um, the emotional benefits, which were really powerful. That's when really like it struck a chord with me, um, the connection chord, if you so will, because I was deeply mm-hmm. connected to the practice um, and my body. Um, and, and I like describing the emotional benefits as something you have to experience. And my favorite analogy to this is if you had never ridden a bike before in your life and you read a book on how to ride a bicycle, like every, mm-hmm. every textbook you could think of, and you got on a bike for the first time, would you know how to ride it? No, no exactly. Right. Because they have to be experienced, mm-hmm. you know, through the motor cortex of the brain, the procedure, you know, the, we have to store those memories into the procedural memory system, the implicit memory system in our brain uh, to be coded into subconscious movement. Right. And so similarly, the feeling part of our body comes from the amygdala, the limbic system of the brain, um, not the thinking, not the, you know, prefrontal cortex. And so after eight months of doing yoga or so, I started noticing I was able to be so much present in my life when I wasn't practicing yoga. I noticed how my uh, emotional uh, levels of regulation, I was regulating my emotional levels much better when I wasn't doing yoga. I was noticing um, my increase in mood, managing my emotions and understanding other people's emotions when I wasn't doing yoga, right? So what I had realized that yoga was bringing me an opportunity to practice something in the moment and train my nervous system to use that off the mat. And that was kind of the profound moment um, of, of yoga for me. And then after a year of practicing, I went through a teacher training, got certified, um, and I've been teaching yoga ever since. And my yoga teaching journey has evolved into different types of themes and, and, um, and what I want to teach. But that's kind of the start of, you know, how I got into yoga and, and, and all that. Yeah. Awesome. And there's a couple of things that I want to kind of mention here. Uh, one, a couple of things is, is the, the long-term effects that you've, you've been feeling, obviously that you had talked about being more present um, for, for, for people listening, being present is such a big uh, factor in connecting with people. Um, when you're not in the moment with someone, then you're not really connecting with that person. Mm-hmm. If you're not able to truly listen, um, same Absolutely. thing as well as as well as mood. Um, you know, with your mood rubbing off on people, it's it's inherently harder to connect with people when when you're on different levels. Um, and that's kind of like this idea of re- reciprocity, where um, if and it's kind of why to quickly explain, it's kind of why when you come home and you have a pet and you have a dog coming to you excited and it's consistent like that. Mm-hmm. And it's consistently yeah. like that every day. Yeah. Uh, you know what to expect out of the relationship and, and you are happy to see the dog. But mm-hmm. if you have someone that is inconsistent um, and it does not have that consistent mood that matches yours, then it's a lot more difficult to be able to connect with that person. Um, but apart from that, really quickly, I wanted to see if you could quickly just kind of talk about what exactly 
you know, yoga is, uh, just to kind of give everybody an idea of, cause you talked about the physical benefits and the mental benefits, but if you could, could just dive in really quickly about, you know, what exactly yoga is, why it is that, you know, contributes to these feelings, right? Um, mm-hmm. cause some people may know yoga. Some people might not, they might confuse it with, I don't know, something like Tai Chi. I don't even know if that's even relevant, but mm-hmm. you quickly just go into what yoga is. Um, so yeah. that way we can kind of better connect the dots between the things that you're feeling sure. uh, the short term and the long term, with mm-hmm. what it is. Sure. And, um, I'm going to describe, you know, yoga from my lens, uh, because, okay. you know, yoga is this ancient practice and philosophy that originated Mm-hmm. you know, 5,000 years ago um, in, in, in parts of India. Um, and it's this, it's this, it's this, it's this practice. Um, you know, everyone's familiar with the physical postures of yoga. Like there, there are physical postures and this, the, the the physical postures I have an oil diffuser next to me and it just ran out. So that's the, that's what you're hearing. Um, that's pretty funny. Uh, sorry. Uh, and so 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 the physical postures is one part of the yoga. Mm-hmm. And I hope hopefully this this is like kind of the if I had to like you know you know hit the nail uh, on the head on one thing about yoga is that you know to the Western world I think everyone just sees yoga as this, as these physical postures. But there, there are technically eight limbs of yoga, and these eight limbs um, go from um, the first two limbs are called yamas and niyamas, which are which are ways uh, to treat the world and the ways to treat yourself. So a lot of principles like truth, nonviolence, um, non-greediness, um, self-study. Um, they're kind of ways of self-practice and a way to, uh, uh, to, to, um, to, to observe the world. And then the third limb is, uh, what's called asana, which is Sanskrit for postures. So, so the postures, the, the yoga you see is actually limb three, and then there are four limbs, uh, five limbs after that. And there, uh, is breath practices, withdrawal, of the senses, concentration, meditation, and then the eighth limb is called absorption, which is samadhi, which is a spiritual for literally being connected to the one, surrendering, mm-hmm. God, you know, ho- you know, however you define it. Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially, yoga is, is, is created to take this eight limb path. Um, and, and, and the philosophy says do it in this order. And you can't, you can't practice the next one until you get the, the, the one before it down. Um, and that's kind of the overarching philosophy of yoga, but even just in the asana portion, the posture portion, there are dozens of types of, of, of physical postures. You know, there's Ashtanga yoga, there's Vinyasa yoga, you know, I'm not even going to list them all, but um, that's, that's yoga. Um, but I love the, um, the brain. I love neurobiology. I love the study of the nervous system, um, the brain, the mind body connection and how, a lot of the neuroscience wasn't around 4,000 years ago. And I like infusing that knowledge into my yoga practice. And so back to those benefits or explaining those benefits, because people were feeling these benefits thousands of years ago. You know, now we just have a way to understand it, right? Yeah. And uh, from, from the lens of neurobiology, uh, neuroscience. And... Um, 
So yoga um, is really interesting because it is something, it's, it's a, it's a top down um, meditation approach and a, and a bottom up uh, meditation approach, which, um, which is, which is, um, let me figure out. Um, I call it a, I call it a movement meditation because mm. what you're doing, what you're doing in, in, in yoga is you're breathing, right? First and foremost is your breathing, right? And there's, there's nothing more present than your breath, right? Like if you just think about time, there's in your body, there's nothing more present than your breath, or I can't think of something more, more present. Mm-hmm. Um, and our breath is also the one voluntary and involuntary function of our body. We can, we mm-hmm. can, we don't have to control it and we can control it. And our breath, um, we have, we have a, something called an autonomic nervous system. Uh, it's the, it's the, it's the nervous system that's autonomous. Um, it regulates our heartbeat, our breath, our muscles, our endocrine system. Um, and, um, and breathing is one voluntary function that can communicate with the autonomic nervous system. And there are two parts of the autonomic nervous system. There's the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system. The sympathetic nervous system, uh, short and sweet, is the fight or flight part of the brain. And the parasympathetic nervous system is the relaxation, calm part of our brain. Um, those are really big umbrellas. Um, but when we move in yoga, we are connecting our breath and our body, which we're being present by breathing. And when we move our body, we are experiencing the feeling of this connection between our body and our breath. And that creates feelings in the limbic or the emotional part of our brain that's connected to the autonomic nervous system to help regulate our emotional body, help, help, um, you know, help calm our body, help have better control over our bodies. Um, and hopefully I'm not going off on a crazy tangent right now, but this connection essentially really stems those mental benefits, those emotional benefits, because we are, we are uh, practicing the ride the bike essentially, right? When we're doing the yoga. Um, and so the connection between our nervous system and our brain, our nervous system connects the body and the brain. Um, and so yoga is this, is this opportunity to actually strengthen that connection. Um, and through that strengthening comes all these benefits. Awesome. No, I think that was a perfect way to kind of, you know, sum up both the the long-term and kind of the short-term effects of, of yoga. Um, but kind of coming back to more so the long-term effects and how you were feeling them with, with people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you had mentioned to me offline, um, being able to connect with yourself, uh, being, being important in, in connecting with others, right? So how is, and I guess um, you had kind of explained a good, a good baseline as far as what yoga is and the benefits, but now let's kind of get more specific and talk about what is yoga's relation to human connection and at an umbrella view, um, how do you think it can relate 
and some of the things just for reference that we are going to be diving into after this kind of umbrella bird's eye view are, you know, individually um, doing yoga. Can that still benefit you uh, in terms of human connection and then group yoga? Um, is that any better? Um, what have you seen with group yoga as, as a teacher and things along that nature? But um, to begin with, um, as a quick overview, what do you think is the relationship between yoga or can be the relationship between yoga and human connection? Yeah. So yeah, that, that's, that's good. And, and I think that's like the, I think this is the most interesting part of it all is, is connecting yoga to connection. And, um, and I think uh, for me, it starts with um, tying connection to loneliness. You know, loneliness is a big, is an epidemic. Um, and I think, I think, I think, um, um, I believe our, our ability to connect to others is limited to by, uh, by how much we are connected to ourselves. Um, that is, that is a strong belief in my book. Um, and, and whether you agree or disagree, um, I think something to pay attention to is the feelings you get in your body that come when you feel like you can't connect with someone or, or you're struggling to connect with something, someone or something. Uh, because I think these feelings reveal answers. Uh, maybe those feelings are frustration, uh, anger, anxiety, nervousness. Um, and those feelings live in your body, not others. And so that's just kind of a, um, a starting point. Uh, into this. And the reason I like talking about loneliness is because uh, Renee Brown in Braving the Wilderness, one of my favorite books on the topic of loneliness, she, she's got a couple quotes I'd like to read just to, to, to go into this. And she gave some statistics on how serious loneliness is. And, and she says, living with air pollution increases your odds of dying early by 5%. Living with obesity, 20%. Excessive drinking, 30%. And living with loneliness, it increases our odds of dying early by 45%. I think it's pretty profound, right? 100%. Um, which means it deserves our attention, right? Like, why are we lonely? And why, um, and whether we aren't or not, right? Or are not, right? You can say, I'm feeling lonely, but it's like, no, you got all these friends, right? This, mm -hmm. this, this, uh, you know, it, it, it really deserves its t uh, attention um, because that feeling's in yourself and those feelings drive your actions and behavior. And so that's why, you know, coming, um, you know, going from loneliness to connection, I believe that um, it is, you know, if you're 80% connected to yourself, you're 20% lonely with yourself. If, if you're 80% lonely, you're only 20% connected to yourself. I really believe they're equal and opposite. Mm. Um, and so does that make sense where I'm going so far? Yes, 100%. And, cool. and really quick to call out, I think what's yeah. interesting about being able to understand yourself, you had talked about um, you know, getting a better feel for your own emotions and understanding how you feel in certain times. But I think the power of knowing yourself in that way, which you know, obviously uh, yoga brings that out of someone you're able to, and like you said, especially with breathing and being in the moment and understanding what it is that you're feeling. I feel that that gives you an advantage um, in the sense that if you know how you're feeling in certain situations and with certain people, you then have uh, 
Um, and I don't want to technicalize it if that's even a word too much, but you then have this course of action or this, this idea of what you can do either to better, um, better the relationship you have with someone because you know how you're feeling, right? Because if you didn't even know that you're having feelings of, of jealousy and you just thought maybe this person's rubbing you the wrong way, right? Then, then you're going to spend your whole life thinking, you know, this person sucks. Um, I'm not really someone that's going to connect with them, right? But if you right. have a better grip of your emotions and feelings and, and you understand what the raw feeling is that you're feeling towards this person, you can then identify and say, hey, I'm, I'm feeling jealous. And, and what is causing this jealousy? And then you can then go to the root problem and, and help solve that for yourself to then create a better connection with someone that you may not otherwise have had. Absolutely. And, and I'm so glad you brought that up because that literally ties into connection. Um, and just to sidetrack from where I was going to, to talk on that point, because, mm-hmm. you know, either you call it emotional intelligence or you call it um, emotional literacy, which is something I've heard, mm-hmm. um, which I love. And, um, right. Um, if you think about barriers of connection, they are, uh, or at least in relationships, they are, you know, not being seen not being heard, not being understood, not feeling valued, right? Those, those things help connection. And when you don't have those, I mean, if you could tell me someone feels connected to someone and they don't feel any of those four things, I'd be, I'd be profoundly confused. Um, and, and something that helps feeling heard and understood is explaining your emotions, Mm -hmm. right? Human uh, human experiences, right? And uh, Alice Miller writes the book, uh, The Drama of a Gifted Child. And she talks about how when children don't have a, uh, a space to feel their feelings from their experience as a kid, they learn to adapt and suppress, right? And so, and so when, when we can explain our feelings like, oh, I'm feeling angry. Is it just angry or are you feeling bitter? Are you feeling aggressive? Are you feeling distant? Are you feeling annoyed? Uh, Are you feeling disrespected, ridiculed, right? These other more uh, specific feelings so that people can better understood. Because imagine if people said, how's your day? Good, bad, all right, right? It stops there. It stops the ability to connect because our emotional literacy or intelligence doesn't go any further. And I think what you said is right on point with that. Oh, that's, that's so, that's so interesting. I, I feel like it's, it, this has really opened up uh, another avenue for me to think about, um, you know, things like yoga and, and meditation and things that really emphasize you understanding yourself. Um, man. Yeah. And, and also too, on, on just a side note, I hope everyone's mm-hmm. just kind of keeping track of, of the books and the authors that you're mentioning because I can write them all down and tell you, by the way, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you by the way. Just awesome. so you can, you can tell your followers or, or listeners. Sweet. Yeah, that would be, that would be incredible. Um, now but to yeah. kind of, to kind of dive a little bit into now that, now that we have a good understanding of, of the individual side of, of yoga and why it's important, you know, for, for us to do it in general um, and how that creates a better connection with ourselves. <clears throat> I want to kind of explore a little bit this idea of, of group yoga and is there any difference or benefits to group yoga? Um, in my kind of research and study, I found that that synchronous movement is actually, interestingly enough, is something that can help promote feelings of, of connection towards other people. <clears throat> Some examples yeah. of this that are 
that are popular are things like obviously like synchronized swimming, but things like line dancing. I mean, the electric slide, everybody loves that. Um, but this idea of synchronous movement is, is powerful because it increases the, or your connection with other people. Right. So I'm curious to know as a teacher, have you seen any benefits or key differences in group yoga versus individualized yoga? Yeah, for sure. And, and I just, I want to, before I forget, I just wanted to touch on the, the, just, I, I just had a lasting thought around the mm, connection and, uh, you mentioned, you know, connecting to yourself, Yes. uh, before, or maybe I said it right. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, our, our ability to connect with others is limited by how much we're connecting to ourselves. Yes. And, um, and I think, um, when you think about things that get in the way of connecting to ourselves, for me, you know, small things could be um, like social media, you know, stereotypes, privilege, like cultural representations of who we should and shouldn't be, right? Those are efforts to disconnect you um, because you're being told or you're being subconsciously programmed to be a certain way when the essence of being is literally yourself. Right. But the moment you stop being yourself and being told how you should be, you disconnect. Right. And those are small barriers, but the biggest barrier, the biggest of most biggest barriers that get in the way of connecting yourself, which is where my yoga uh, passion comes from is trauma. Interesting. It's trauma. Um, And this is from a neurobiological point of view. Um, Trauma is a traumatic experience Uh, There's nothing more severe that disconnects you from you than a traumatic experience. And this is from a uh, nervous system, mind, body point of view. Um, And, you know, traumatic experiences, um, you know, if I, if I may, can I explain a little bit about how, how this happens in the body? Yeah. Uh, Let's, let's do it. Uh, Let's hear it. Sweet. Um, so when, when, uh, when, when there are a few levels of, of a traumatic experience forming and, um, the first level is, is, uh, fight or flight, right? This is, um, your, your, uh, adrenaline and hormones are produced in the body when something is, uh, dangerous is happening, right? That's actually the job of adrenaline is to mobilize the body mobilize the body, right? It's, it's why we fight or flight. That's why we move. Um, but if that doesn't work, if fight or flight doesn't work, the next thing is to freeze. Hormones are still being produced, produced. We freeze, but if even freezing doesn't work and it's called, uh, the last thing is called folding or submit. When, when you're in this moment of nothing works, and uh, hormones are still being produced. And at that moment, a traumatic experience or traumatic memory is formed in the body. And in this moment, right, normal memories, episodic memories have a beginning, middle and end, their narrative. Um, but traumatic experiences are fragmented. That's why people can get triggered through senses, smells, sights, images, you know, et cetera. Um, and that's because the moment a traumatic memory happens, uh, part of our brain shuts down, 
And the only part of the brain that really stays alive is the amygdala, the limbic system, the survival uh, part of our brain. Um, and so what shuts down is the part of our brain that tells stories, right? That, that, that stores memory. And so this is, this is essentially a disconnection from yourself because in this moment, the medial uh, prefrontal cortex that is responsible for awareness, you know, noticing the body's existence shuts off. And when the awareness ceases to exist, the self ceases to exist. And when the self ceases to exist, you don't cease to exist. And it's this, it's this, it's this dark, beautiful, instantaneous non-existence that trauma does to us. And that's why I believe even in my yoga practice that there's nothing more important than empathizing and healing people from their trauma, because this is the root of people's nervousness or anxiousness to connect right away. Right. I brought, I've said that earlier in, in, in the podcast that people may want to connect really, uh, not really quickly because they don't feel safe. Right. But it's because maybe they don't feel safe in their own body to connect with you or connect mm. with someone else. And this is what requires a deep and profound amount of empathy and understanding because you have no idea what their signals and their body are telling them. And I think this is the, um, the beautiful work we can do as human connection activists or, you know, um, that we get to give people an opportunity to connect with themselves on a really strong level and feel safe with those emotions that, that, you know, that are vulnerable. You know, if, if you've lived a, if you've lived a life of disconnection, then you don't know what connection feels like. So those new feelings are unfamiliar. And what happens to us when we experience things unfamiliar? We push away a little bit, right? Like, um, so, so a lot of the work is familiarizing yourself to your own self, your own feelings. And that's vulnerable. That's, that's hard. And I think when, like from personal experience, um, through some of the hardship I've experienced, um, my connection with others profoundly has increased when I've been more at peace with myself, understanding myself and connecting to myself, uh, because I have a deeper level of understanding and empathy for others who may be going through something similar. Yeah. I'm, I'm very happy now that we kind of went down that road to just kind of better understand the trauma aspect. Um, primarily because it really paints a better picture of why it is that yoga is so important. And honestly, I, um, I, I went into this, this interview kind of not, not expect, like I, I can, no expectations, right. Cause I like to come into things just as they come so that I can better understand them. Right. I didn't want to have any preconceived um, bias or anything like that. Right. So, so hearing all of this, um, helps me better understand why it's important to connect with ourselves and the potential that yoga has to help remedy um, this disconnect that, that people have. Right. And, and there can be obviously severe trauma, um, but I'm sure that there's also trauma um, in smaller stages. Um, you know, things that can occur, let, let's say that from, from like battle versus like something that happens at home. I mean, I'm sure mm -hmm. there's different types of trauma, but at the end of the day, uh, what you talk about, you disconnecting from yourself, creating that barrier um, is just so powerful, right? Because yoga is essentially bringing this opportunity or this avenue for us to break down that barrier 
to enable us to connect with other people. So I like that you stopped me uh, in terms of the group yoga, because what that taught me a little bit was that um, the importance wasn't, wasn't doing yoga with other people or kind of having that connection or that community. What's really important is the root of, of being able to understand and find yourself so that you can connect with the community. Because like you said, if you haven't even been able to, to reconnect yourself, then the chances of you being able to connect with someone else are, are, are for naught. Right. Yeah. I, I, but I do want to, but I do want to say all this happens in group yoga. Right. Mm, so, and this is kind of the, this is, this is why I wanted just to preface it with all that because I see to get to your question about group yoga, Yeah. the difference between you wrote this in the notes, right? What's the difference between mm. uh, yoga and group cycling or, mm. or doing something else? Exactly. Yes. Is that it's still a personal practice. It is so spiritually aligned to yourself. You know, you don't have to call it spiritual. You can, you know, I define spirituality as just something that you're connected to greater than yourself. Mm-hmm. And right. And, and for some that could be God, for some that could be uh, yoga, for some that could be uh, swimming, you know, it doesn't matter. It's just this feeling of connection. Um, and so, you know, I, 99% of the yoga I've done is in a group class, right? So, so there's actually a lot of benefits uh, of doing, and, and the majority of benefits all come from doing it in a group class. Um, specifically, mm-hmm. Specifically is because you're on your mat, you're on your space, right? There are four corners to your mat and it's your mat. You come to, you come to the class and what group classes does, it gives you the sense of community. Everyone's doing it together, right? No matter how you look, how you feel, your other people are showing up with you and are having experiences, right? And number two, there is this little cherry on top of, of energy in a room when everyone's like gives a loud exhale, ah, right. You, you feel it right mm-hmm. in the class. And that gives a little more empowerment. Um, and third, which is a, which is a theme in trauma yoga. This the trauma sensitive yoga is a actual style of yoga that I have been, uh, I got trained in, um, is that it gives a feeling of, uh, it combats loneliness, right? There are other people in the room doing it and that helps give a sense of empowerment, right? It helps, it helps. Um, yeah, I'm gonna stick with that. Like, it, like empowerment that you're not doing it alone. Right. So back to that loneliness connection paradigm. Right. Um, so, I, so, so to answer your question, I don't think there is yoga by yourself or in a group. I think it's mm-hmm. always a personal practice, but whether you choose to do it following a YouTube video or in a class, uh, different benefits will show up how, when, and why, but they will show up. Yeah, that's very, that's so interesting too, that it's like, um, and that's something I also just didn't realize is that yoga occurs 99% of the time in a group. Um, but one thing I do want to just kind of pick out just a little bit more to see if I properly understand and hopefully if, if, you know, everyone's kind of on the same page, page here listening is, um, so then let's say cycling, right? If someone really feels, you know, passionate about cycling and they join a class in, in cycling where they're with other people and they're having that same kind of joy mm-hmm. out of cycling, right? Um, then is that a, like, I, I don't want to say substitute, but would you say that um, yoga is inherent? And I don't want to like pit each exercise against each other, but I'm trying mm-hmm. to better understand I know where you're the, going. the real yeah. nuances of you know, mm-hmm. yoga versus something like, you know, let's just say cycling, right? It seems mm-hmm. to me like if, if, if one person wanted to do cycling, they're getting similar things, but what is that 
if is there a deep difference between the two? Yeah, I think I think this is a very like meta point because mm-hmm. uh, I think we choose to do what we're connected to do, mm. uh, which is kind of meta because we're doing things to find connection. Just mm-hmm. like why you might quote some author more than others. You know, who cares? I'm connected to her words, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people who are cycling that that uh, I mean, I think yoga uh, teaches us to be better people, mm-hmm. right? If you want to boil it all down, right? And if cycling um, fulfills you in passionate desires, um, you know, improves your physical body and healthiness, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You don't have to do yoga, right? Like it's, but I will say that yoga and specifically, you know, the, the Western form of, you know, um, Mm -hmm. vinyasa yoga or the, the Hatha yoga, which is, you know, a lot of linking your breath to your movements, right? Yoga is much more about breathing, right? Than cycling In cycling, you're breathing for, uh, to, to sustain your body's levels of energy, right? Um, because you're tired of shit, <laughs> right? Or, or, you know, you're pumping weights, right? You got to exhale yeah. on the way up because yes. you need the energy in the muscle, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever. Uh, but with yoga, it is a, it is, uh, I'm not going to say this, but it's a science, right? It's, a, it's, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's specifically designed to connect your breathing. Your, your breath is the most important part of yoga, not the posture. So just to have gotcha. things put in scale, right? Because breathing, once again, back to connecting to our nervous system, mm-hmm. our breath is the thing that does that, right? So, so the benefits of yoga are derived from connecting and, and talking to your nervous system. And those benefits will be um, and not for everyone, but far greater than cycling or running. Um, but, but those benefits don't happen in exclusion or inclusion, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're, some could be perfectly mutually exclusive or they could be overlapping, right? You're going to get the endorphin rush of doing yoga or cycling, mm-hmm. right? Um, but there is a, uh, you know, I've cycled before. I don't have astounding feelings of feeling present throughout my day after cycling. It was an exercise. Right. Feelings of, of being present or emotional intelligence, I would say, is much higher from doing yoga than cycling or running. Yeah. Because those are physically dominant practices. And I would say the physically part of yoga is the bottom tier. It's at the bottom. The rest is the mental, the emotional, the breathing, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Gotcha. Yeah, I appreciate you kind of digging into that a little bit more because that helped me understand as as a third person or I guess you could say a third party looking in to this because uh, I, I I've done yoga maybe once uh, and I felt great so uh, there's no reason why I shouldn't be doing it more but as an outsider looking in um, one thing that that clarified for me is is the intent behind each activity right when you when you cycle usually the intent is behind um, is is for exercise. And, and not for the purpose of, of really understanding your feelings, understanding your movements. There's a very different understanding to an intent. I think that's the core, the core value there is intent. You got it, intent man. is completely. Absolutely. Um, so I appreciate you diving into that a little bit more. I will um, say on that intention, mm-hmm. if I may, is you make a great point and thanks for bringing that up is that physical exercise is like going to the gym or going cycling. There is some goal or some intention finishing this, lifting this much, timing this, uh, burning this many calories, right? Um, I would say that intention is 70, 80% dominant in the reason why you're doing it. 
Um, also because it may just be fun, right? Uh, but with yoga, uh, one of the biggest themes of yoga is to actually, yes, yeah, set an intention. Yeah, like, you know, um, you know, today I'm going to love myself a little bit more, whatever, mm -hmm. something, something like that, right? Um, that's kind of cliche. Um, but, you know, the theme is really showing up without expectation, um, without judgment, without opinions, right? Showing up with openness, receptivity. When you walk on that map, mat, that should be the intention, right? That is, you know, oftentimes our physical body and our mind shows up differently every day, right? It's a fact. It just shows up differently every day. So we shouldn't be holding ourselves to the same standards as yesterday. And we should be, we should be on the receiving end of what we are creating for ourselves and allow ourselves to receive it. So yoga, yes, I hope to get this posture today, but overarching, it's really like, I'm curious about my practice today and I'm going to be open to the feelings and experience I get from it. Definitely. No, that, that makes a lot of sense too. And it kind of really rounds everything out in the sense of, of why we're doing these things, right. Or why, why we do these things in yoga. Um, so I have one, one more kind of question for, for the times uh, right now. Um, so if you, obviously, when, whenever you listen to this, I don't know when it will be, but uh, in, current, in the current state, we are in a state of, of social isolation, or actually I should say physical distancing, not social isolation. Um, but uh, to kind of, well, I have one, one main kind of central theme question before we go into like a little bit of a closing sequence. Mm -hmm. um, and that is in this time of physical distancing, uh, what have you been doing to transition to a virtual, um, you know, yoga uh, education type thing, right? Has that transition been difficult? And do are you still able to foster that same? And I feel like I already know the answer to that, like you had mentioned before, watching YouTube videos and things of that nature. But um, how have you found this transition of of moving digitally to help people through yoga um, be? And uh, what can you kind of speak to that? Uh, you know, it's definitely been a silver lining. It's been, it's been awesome. Uh, and I, I, I read a quote that said the, um, the, 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 the greatest level of gratitude is accepting reality for how it is. And that spoke to me because, uh, you know, all the yogis are going on Zoom. We're all on Zoom right now, the entire industry. Um, some are on YouTube, but mostly Zoom. Um, and I jumped on board. I, I teach uh, Zoom yoga twice a week. And I build a, uh, built a pretty big email list. And, uh, yeah, I have, I have students showing up. Uh, I taught this morning at 10. Uh, I had a really nice class. And I, I taught at a yoga studio not far from my house here. Um, and I have some of those students who join, but the silver lining is, is this, is that, is that even though we're all physically isolated, we're still connecting through this practice and right. Whether, whether we're, we're going into a group class, whether we're doing yoga by ourselves, whether we're doing it by ourselves in a group class, <laughs> you know, uh, it's still a personal practice and I was taking a Zoom yoga class by another teacher of mine, and she said something like, you know, 
it seems like we're going to be isolated for a long fucking time. So we better just accept how it is. Right. <laughs> and it was really like forward and, and real because, you know, yogis are human too. We're all like trying to, you know, we're all trying to navigate this space. Uh, yet it's so interesting and profound that an industry or, or a, a, um, a spirituality like yoga that is based off of physical connection, physical touch or, or community practice finds a way to still serve in isolation. And I find that super beautiful uh, because, you know, ideas, values usually transcend, you know, situations. And for me, uh, of course, I would love teaching in a yoga studio, but this is in, uh, sufficing in perfect ways, but also going above and beyond because I just taught last Saturday, I taught two of my students from Sweden. I lived in Sweden for two years, mm. um, not too long ago. And I founded a yoga community out in Sweden. Uh, and so some of them were able to join me now because they can't join because of COVID. Um, mm -hmm. I had someone from Spain. Um, and so I'm actually realizing that this is a silver lining because I'm still able to connect globally mm -hmm. uh, with other people who are tuning in in a live setting. And I get mm -hmm. to walk up to the camera and be like, great work. You know, I am teaching you. I'm not doing the yoga the entire time. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, it's a bit awkward, but, you know, the gratitude uh, that comes in is, is, is such uplifting, is so uplifting. And it's 100% reciprocal because at the end of the day, I serve my students um, and the, the connection depends on this service, right? If people accept and receive this form of um, yoga, then this connection is being created uh, and that gratitude um, happens because of it. So um, I'm adapting and navigating through this um, landscape of this isolation uh and it's working fine you know it's all donation based so people donate uh after every class and it's you know it pays for my zoom monthly membership you know which is all <laughs> i care about you know so it really doesn't um you know and i just love i love uh um i'm actually talking to my students more than i did at the studio you know we're dming all the time uh so you know uh, going back to gratitude it's just you know I, I'm, I'm connected to myself because of my gratitude practice of just appreciating, uh, that connection is existing in times of disconnection. Right. Yeah. My, my favorite thing and kind of concept that you had went over when you were talking about this. And I think the central idea here is, is gratitude, um, primarily because, it's so interesting that now, now that we're physically distanced, it's like people have been thrown into this state of like, my God, I, I, I didn't appreciate what I had before when I got to see people physically, when I got to, you know, embrace people, when I got to physically be in an office with someone. And now people are feeling the effects of, of loneliness at, at scale, which is one concerning, but, um, too. I, I really like that idea of, you know, the, the events that have transpired have really pushed us into this state of understanding and um, understanding of this importance of human connection, right? And you can see it across the board with companies just having whatever type of connection they can, whether it be um, a hangouts call with, with like a happy hour, which is what our company does, or, you know, if it's like a game that, that 
you know, companies do or a movie night, right? It's almost like now people are searching for human connection more than ever. And um, the interesting thing is that I think when we're at this all-time high of searching, I think it is going to have some some spillover into when this is all over and people are going to retain that that gratitude and understanding. And I think once this is all over, I believe that human connection will be placed at a, at a premium and, um, and that will kind of spill over into the next couple of generations. So I, I really love what you had talked about of, of how it has given you this opportunity to talk more with your students, especially the ones that are on a global scale. Um, because on, like you had said, maybe you haven't, you weren't talking to them as consistently as you were now, but this has really opened the door for you to engage with more people than you normally would not have. Right. Um, I know people and, and friends that are talking to old high school, high school friends, the reopening conversations with people that they haven't seen in years and, and why simply because they, they realized what they had lost out on and they want to search for that, you know, human connection. So, you know, with that being said, I, I really love this idea of gratitude and, and hopefully, uh, like you had said, with this silver lining, people can begin to understand the premium and the importance of, of human connection. Um, and so with that being said, um, I, I want to go to the last bit of, of kind of like a closing sequence, something that I ask um, all, of, all of my guests and have received a variety of answers. The first question is is in relation to the podcast and the second question is is going to help you kind of get a little bit more of some self promo but the first question is how do you define um and so really quick to set some context uh, the name of the podcast is called the human glue project um and the reason i named it that is because i believe that this idea of human connection is inherently like this invisible substance a lot like glue where you may not see the glue physically, but it's holding things together, right? So in your words, how would you describe or how would you define, is a better way to, to say this, how would you define human glue? And alternatively, how would you define human connection? <laughs> mm. Human glue is the first part and then human connection is the second Uh you can, you can call them synonymous. Uh, for me, okay. the key difference between human glue, I think human connection. Yeah, what's your is, answer? Yeah. Well, how would you do it? <laughs> Oh no, don't, you don't want to bias my answers though. That's uh, true. I, I will, how about this? I'll, I'll answer your yeah. that question afterwards, but go All ahead. Right, no worries, man. Uh, um, you know, just, you know, Running with human glue, I like that, you know, and, and, and if glue is what binds, you know, it's human nature to feel connection and belonging, right? It's, 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 it's tribalism. It's, it's our sociology, right? It, it's existed. Um, and whether we want to call it glue or not, it exists. And I'm cool with calling uh, human glue this, um, sense of connection and belonging. But what I really like to go on stemming from my theme, you know, the themes that I've discussed in this podcast is, you know, the glue to ourselves and, you know, human glue, you know, let's say uh, we're born glued together 
and our experiences as we get older and older through childhood and adolescent and adult um, end up um, weakening the glue. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't you can't control that. You know, we're, it's 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 out of our control. And I think we we get to a certain point in adulthood um, for some, and for others it happens at different stages of our lives. We end up regluing. We end up relearning. We end up trying to find our way back home to ourselves. Um, and I think that is how I would define our own human glue. Using our glue for human connection on a interpersonal scale or a global scale, the strength of your glue to connect with others is 100% dependent on how much you're glued to yourself. Um, and I think our longing for connection with others could be a reflection or a mirror of what you're longing for yourself and your connection to yourself. And I think we, myself, um, I try to reflect on that. You know, if, um, you know, there's this, there's a belief that, you know, everyone who frustrates you is, is showing you a part of yourself that you haven't figured out yet. Like in essence, everyone's a mirror, right? Um, I didn't quote that right, but, you know, so I, I just believe that, you know, your, my level of connection with others is just, it's a reflection. It's a mirror of like, you know, am I connected to myself? And it's not to say if I'm super connected to myself, I don't need connection to others. Mm. It's just more about how we approach this connection and this glue. So glue yourself back together first, you know, because we all need a little bit of that. And I think we're all a bit disconnected to ourselves based on things out of our control and things that are not our fault trauma for being one, you know, cultural mm-hmm. stereotypes for being another. Yeah. No, I really like the way that you defined it. And, um, and I think this, the whole podcast was kind of leading up to, to this answer. And um, it's one of the reasons why I like asking this question is because a lot of people have just different ideas of what it means to connect with somebody um, and, and what it means to really um, have that connection. Right. But what's distinct about yours is that, you know, it prioritizes and it, it emphasizes that in order to have that connection with other people, you should, you should be gluing yourself back together first. Um, you, you have to maintain that in order to have a strong connection with someone. Uh, to answer your question earlier, as far as, you know, what my thoughts are, um, yeah. human, human connection to me is, is kind of like a, a baseline, right? Anyone can connect with people um, and there's connections at all levels, right? There's, you know, connections that are small, connections that are, are more intimate. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's simple. It's, it's human connection. And it's, it's ultimately um, how well we are able to um, bond and, and interact with people, right? So it's just a more uh, umbrella term. To me, human glue is this concept that there's more to human connection, that it's not just this uh, relationship we have with others. Uh, human glue is actually what gives life uh, fulfillment and meaning. Um, because to me, without other people, without others to share our life experience with, then life is is pretty much meaningless or worthless. So to me, human glue is that idea that it paints this picture that life is meaningful with other people. Um, and it distinguishes 
just your standard connection with others. Um, and it really places a premium and an emphasis and a value uh, on connecting with others as opposed to it just being uh, a fact of life. Yeah, I like that a lot. Uh, and thanks for sharing because I find it two things full circle. Uh, it reminds me of what I said about two most important things in this world. It's one, the earth and one, our relationship with others, right? And without that, you know, it's kind of meaningless. Yeah. So I just thought that was super interesting. And two, like, you know, you've said this word a few times. I just want to understand uh, premium. And what do you, de- how do you define premium? What's that mean to you? Because <laughs> I'm really curious. Yeah. Um, to me, I think it's this idea of, of like what we value, like our, our importance. Um, and, and when we place a premium or, or when we place a high value on human connection, we put that at the forefront of, of our minds and our lives, then it guides um, what we do, right? So if you don't, and, and that's the thing too, is when you don't place value on something and you don't um, make it important in your life, then it's, um, it's going to be gone. Uh, I'm a big believer in out of sight, out of mind. Um, you know, if you don't see something, you're, it's, it's not going to be present, right? So you have to continue um, to put human connection on a pedestal. Otherwise, you lose it. Um, because honestly, it is, it is a practice and it is a strain. There are a lot of people, and myself included, where there, were, there are times where I don't want to interact with other people. I, and that's okay too, right? It's okay to, to feel introverted at times. But at the same time, um, you can let yourself slip into a state of not wanting to deal with people. Um, I had a friend who I, I had, I still, I'm still very good friends with him. And we had talked in one of our classes the first day I met him. Surprisingly, in the first 10 minutes, it was, it was one of those things in class where the teacher was like, um, just get to know your partner, whatever, right? In that 10 minutes, it was interesting because in that 10 minutes, he opened up about how he was bullied as a child and and that he had started weightlifting to combat that, that aspect of, of being bullied. And that came out in 10 minutes. And, um, well, good courage to him for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. And what struck me is that, you know, he had told me like, look, I don't normally open up to people. He had gotten in this kind of cycle of putting headphones in and avoiding uh, communication and connection at all costs. He had talked about how he, put on a mean face so he didn't have to have conversation. But what he told me was that when we had this kind of deeper conversation and he opened up, um, he felt a lot better. He felt a lot more uh, empowered and he felt a real piece of connection that he had been missing out on. Right. And that's the thing is if he didn't have that premium and he didn't have that value on, on human connection, he was content to be alone and he was content to have a shell. Right. So that's why it's so important for us to place this premium and this value on connection, because if we don't continually move it to the forefront of our minds, then it's, it's gone. Um, so it's a constant practice. Yeah. And I, that's an interesting story. And I just want to, you know, this is not to sound um, uh, controversial or disagreeing. Yeah, I just, um, I'm glad you define premium because premium sounds like you got to pay for it. Mm, and, okay. and, and that's how I interpret it. And so, mm, so, okay. so it's more about high value, which is good because connection <laughs> is like, it's like a privilege. It should be accessible for everyone. Mm. Um, and so, but the point of, you know, your, your, your friend who opened up, wow, that's incredible. And, and number two, I'm a huge introvert, uh, somewhat ambivert, 60, 40, probably an introvert, extrovert. I think people get this so confused about, uh, introvert about being social. 
right? And it has nothing to do with being social uh, or comfortable in front of other people. Introvert and extrovert mainly comes from where we derive our energy, right? So people mistake me for a really big extrovert all the time. Um, And some who are my friends who may listen to this be like, is this guy still an extrovert? I don't believe you, which will probably happen. But the point is, is I derive my energy from being alone, from being completely isolated, right? And when I'm out and doing this, uh, being around others, it depletes my energy and I need to reset and come back to myself. People are the opposite. Uh, my brother is an extrovert. I have friends that are extroverts that need to be around people to, to derive their energy. Mm. And so, and so I really, I really believe in back to, to the barriers of connection to tie in the theme of today's podcast. Um, things that get in the way of those barriers could be, you know, trauma, right? Which this person, um, shared with you. And to your point, you also mentioned that different levels of trauma doesn't have to be like a a war. Mm -hmm. Um, Studies have shown, research has shown that um, being a victim of sexual assault, being hit by a car, uh, you know, a veteran, all these things, these, these events Mm -hmm. um, um, are equal to being Mm -hmm. neglected by a parent, being bullied as a child, systemic, long, um, emotional abuse, right? Those are, those are equal levels of trauma. So, so I think we really need to, um, yes, put a premium on this connection, but really hold space and safety for people who may not be ready to do that yet, because there's underlying vulnerabilities, there's, there's insecurities, there's, there's levels of not feeling safe yet, because maybe they don't trust you yet. Right. And so there's this, there's this tug of war of like, yeah, human connection, human connection, but what, at what cost, right? Like, you know, I think real connection or not real connection, but Mm -hmm. uh, an even deeper level of connection is, is being able to read and understand someone's ability or someone who's not ready to connect like you connect, but Mm -hmm. still hold space and still be right there with them and accepting how they showed up and their efforts to try to connect because of things that have happened to them in the past that have not been their fault. And I think that's, that, that's so, something that, that I hold on to every day in my practice. No, I appreciate you kind of coming back on that and, and asking me to clarify because it, again, it, it gives people uh, a different perspective and a way to understand things. Right. And it all comes back to what you were saying about, um, you know, being able to meet someone where they're at. Right. If someone's not at the same level, you know, you, you shouldn't have to like force this idea of, of we need to connect right now. Right. right. Um, so, yeah, I, I appreciate the, the kind of feedback and it also helps me better define my ideas and, and kind of values. Um, and honestly, this entire podcast has been filled with little nuggets and pieces that I'm definitely going to kind of reflect back on and see if I can understand a little bit better. Um, so hopefully to everyone listening, this has been really, really insightful and, and valuable because it has been for me. There's it has a lot been for things. me too. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's just a lot of things that I, I want to dive into and look into um, after this. So uh, thank you for your time, Drew. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks um, for the opportunity. Of course. And, uh, and the final question I have for you to really close mm-hmm. out is, um, where can people find you if, if anyone wants to get in touch or anyone wants to, to join in a yoga session, what is the mm-hmm. best way for people to reach you? Yeah. So I'm most actively on, uh, most active on Instagram. So you could, you can DM me on Instagram. It's just at Drew Teller. So that's the easiest. Um, or you could, um, go to my website for yoga, drewtelleryoga.com. 
Um, and there's a few buttons there on how to join my Zoom classes. Um, but essentially all I need is your email and I'll put you on a list and all my Zoom classes are invite only. Um, so uh, yeah, um, but Instagram is the best way to connect with me. Um, I find that the most convenient and um, most fun. Cool. Well, again, uh, Drew, I appreciate your time and appreciate the kind of insights that you've given us. And, uh, you know, hopefully maybe in the future we can do another follow-up because there's a lot of interesting things that I think. Yeah, I love that. I can, I can pick your brain on for sure. Um, I learned a lot so, too speaking to you. So thank you as well. As I like to say at the end of every podcast, feel free to reach out to me and connect with me either by leaving a comment and review on this podcast on iTunes or Spotify, or simply by just reaching out on social media, giving me a follow and simply DMing me, right? So I love to hear feedback, love to hear back from you all. And again, thank you all so, so much for listening to the Human Glue Project podcast.